Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. So I really am very, very interested in this next conversation. I want to thank our next guest, Jennifer Gentile Long, for coming on. She's a lawyer, and she currently serves as the chief executive officer of something called A Equitas, which she founded in April of 2009, serving as an expert on issues related to the prosecution of sexual violence, gender-based violence, human trafficking. She herself was a former ADA, Assistant District Attorney in Philadelphia, where she prosecuted these kinds of heinous crimes. She was then a senior attorney and appointed the director of the National Center for the Prosecution of Violence Against Women at the American Prosecutors Research Institute at NDAA. And she is really, I mean, what this organization is, Jennifer, I'm so glad that you joined us today. I want you to know that A. Equitas was mentioned at a gathering of hundreds of professionals uh, that um, I'm, a, I'm a probate judge, and we do a lot of children's matters in Connecticut. And last week or the week before, we had our annual gathering where the Connecticut Bar Association section related to uh, trusts and estates and elder abuse issues met. And it was one of the expert doctors who came on and was giving us a lecture about dementia and elder abuse and violence against elders who said that if we didn't know about A Equitas, we needed to as a resource for help. So Jennifer Long, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. I wanted you to know that. Thank you so much, Judge Wexler. It's really an honor to be here. Please call me Lisa. Please. Oh, okay. Please. Lisa, sorry, it's Thank the prosecutor you. in me. That's okay. <laughs> I understand. Right. Call me Lisa. So, so, and may I call you Jennifer? Of course, please. Okay. Yes. So, Jennifer, 2009, you had this distinguished career, and yet you feel the need to found a not-for-profit. You got to tell me about that. Sure. And as everything, it's a, you know, a joint effort. When you found something, um, there were several people, several experts at the table. But as part of the National District Attorneys Association, where the National Center for Prosecution and Violence Against Women sat, it was an excellent place to be an expert. However, because the focus and the priority is not always on sexual violence, intimate partner violence, child abuse, elder abuse, human trafficking, consistently or solely, we really felt the need to provide for the nation's prosecutors and for the country, the country and the world, because we do international work, a resource, a place that was devoted singularly to these crimes, because victims of these crimes, you know, they're victimized twofold. One, they're so often blamed or they're violent, the violence against them is minimized. And so the compassion that's required is so important. And secondarily, the law is emerging research around science, forensic technology, um, you know, ballistics even. And again, just the way the law emerges, it's really important to be a technical expert and to devote resources to these crimes. And we wanted to be an organization that was solely focused on doing so, so that victims were more protected and received justice. 
Okay, and so when you say that you are a resource for crimes of violence against all of these people, how is it that you are that resource? Sure. So we are very lucky to be Department of Justice funded and also foundation funded. So we're able to provide our services free of charge. People sometimes have to pay for our travel to and from someplace, but the time is completely covered. Our resources are posted and available. We do trainings, trainings that are could be as long as a week on how to prosecute a sexual violence case or an elder abuse case or an intimate partner case, human trafficking. And we go through the different areas of a prosecution as well as the way to uh, to um, connect with victims, to interview them, to make sure we're collaborating with our partners, our multidisciplinary partners, social workers, doctors, um, other experts to make sure these individuals are supported. And we also develop amicus briefs, that's front of the court briefs for people listening on cases that are, they could be going up to state Supreme Courts. We've had two, um, actually more than two, go up to the United States Supreme Court on issues that are of import on these crimes. Um, Most recently, there was a case, Rahimi, you may have talked about it, that, um, you know, addressed removing guns from domestic violence abusers. So we put in briefs there. And we also write publications. Um, They can be broad publications, how to prosecute a human trafficking case, to something very narrow um, that prosecutors should know, such as, what it's you know what does it mean to be in the life a lot of our work focuses around violence against sexually exploited persons both their exploitation and trafficking as well as crimes committed against them and it's equally as important for a prosecutor to know how to prosecute that case as it is for them to understand what it means to be in the life and when we develop these we partner with individuals with lived experience to help make sure that we're pairing research with with experience So, Jennifer Long, you must have seen as a prosecutor in Philadelphia a wide variety of really heinous examples of how people can be cruel to other people. Yeah. I I I just, I'm sure that you did. I'm really interested in your own ability. Where do you think your own psyche, your ability comes to withstand having to face these facts and keep fighting the fight every day? Where does it come from with you? Uh, Well, I think part of it is having the opportunity to have worked with so many victims, again, of, you know, so many different backgrounds, so many different ages that have survived the abuse and the assault and have had the courage to come forward or the courage to just go on with life. As you know, Lisa, not all of these victims are able or willing to participate in the criminal justice system. Um, And so um, even for those who choose not to prosecute, just understanding how they continue to live their lives, it is very empowering. I mean, these are horrific crimes that happen all over the world um, to all sorts of people, very vulnerable people. And I I guess to be able to, to create one positive by trying to stop an abuser trying to move the law in a direction that protects victims. It's, you know, it's really an honor. And um, it's really an honor to do the work. 
So it's what keeps you going is justice, justice, yeah. justice, justice. I get that, actually. So yeah. we're chatting with Jennifer Long, the founder of A Equitas, and you should look on their website. It's quite extraordinary. It's very beautiful. It's very clear and easy. It's spelled A-E-Q-U-I-T-A-S, A Equitas, very easy to find. And what I really like is on the left-hand side, it has like a filter by focus areas, and they include child abuse, elder abuse, human trafficking, intimate partner violence, witness intimidation, uh, sexual violence, stalking. You know, I just finished watching Americana over the weekend, which was the documentary about Taylor Swift, Jennifer. Did you happen to see it? You You know what? I haven't seen it yet. Well, it's really good. And what's interesting about it, and I'm not a Swifty in particular. I mean, I, I loved her haters got to hate stuff, but I really don't know her music at all. And but I was told to watch it as a documentary and it's on uh, Netflix if anybody wants to watch it. And what's interesting about it is how she finds her voice in this world. And, and basically, she only finds it in the last few years. But once she finds it, she finds it and she will not let go of her own voice. And specifically with respect to this area, she was groped and she was groped in public in a photo. And you can see the photo of this uh, DJ at a radio station. She's posing with him on a red carpet photo. And on her right hand side is a woman. And on her left hand side is this guy. Right. And she's a young girl. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he has his hand under her dress. On her tush. Mm-hmm. Right. He's you can see that in the photo. Yeah. So he's groping her. And afterwards, and apparently, according to her, he pinched really hard and he stuck his hand up her dress and it was disgusting. Right. Let's all yeah. agree. Disgusting, yeah. complete, Absolutely. unwanted touching. Disgusting. Right. And mm-hmm. um, afterwards, she complains about it and he gets fired. OK. She speaks up. He gets fired. Lots of witnesses. He has the temerity to sue her. He sues her after the fact. And when he sued her, his defense was, I didn't do it. And therefore, the truth of the circumstance became the trial. She goes and she testifies. And she has to relive it and testify it and say, I didn't even go after this guy for money, right? I just wanted to lose his job. He has the nerve to come after me and say that I'm lying. And this happened in front of everyone. The reason I'm saying this, Jennifer, is because she says she found her voice on behalf of other victims who are not nearly as well known, where it doesn't happen in public, where there's no corroborating witnesses, where there's nothing. And she feels for these women now. She feels for them. Yeah. And I mean, I am a Swifty. I do really admire her. But I I haven't seen this. I I do remember the, um, the crime happening. And I do think, you know, it's an excellent example of what our victims go through every day in courtrooms. And they are before, after, um, before they even get in, there are attempts to silence them, to discredit them, to harass and humiliate them, embarrass them. And, you know, for individuals who are um, even people like Taylor Swift, I think that example should show everyone how horrific it is to be a victim of this crime when, you know, it's so effective, this discrediting that happens, our our public's ability to somehow, even in the face of clear evidence, search for reasons to doubt victims and their reports and the act and the evidence clearly in front of them than to accept the violence that's happening. And so, I mean, 
I, again, a lot of victims, unfortunately, because of witness intimidation, because of shame, because of just their own inability to go through their trauma are not able to go through the process. And when they do, there are these threats of suit and there are threats of intimidation, sometimes very subtle and overlooked. Um, but it, it's so important because it does hold perpetrators accountable and it reminds our community of our duty to stand behind victims and survivors and to make sure that they have the safety that they um, deserve and that perpetrators are held accountable and that the community is given and potential perpetrators, existing perpetrators are given a loud message that that behavior is not acceptable, it's criminal, and they will be held accountable. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more, Jennifer. Will you stay with us? We're on live radio. We've got to go to a uh, commercial. We're going to be right back. We'll open up the phones, 203-333-9422. We're talking with a former prosecutor, Jennifer Long, who founded a not-for-profit called A Equitas that, that delivers a lot of resources to prosecutors and other people for free who are enveloped in these terrible fact patterns of violence against vulnerable people. We'll be right back. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Jennifer Long, who is the founder of A Equitas, A E Q U I T A S. AEquitasresource.org is a phenomenon, phenomenal um, website or AEquitas.org altogether. It's a beautiful website. It's really easy to navigate, and I'm finding it to be very rich in resources for people who are victims of violence and prosecutors as well. It, is, it was developed with the idea of helping prosecutors prosecute. And I want to go to that, Jennifer, for just a moment because – Look, I mean, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, and we all learn about Gideon versus Wainwright and the right to counsel, and it's enshrined in our Bill of Rights, and we don't want innocent people to go to jail, full stop. But because we have developed this extraordinary American model of trying to help innocent people not go to jail, and by the way, we still, we're not perfect with that. Sometimes innocent people do go to jail. But by and large, our system is developed to help the defendant Uh, The defendant is the one that gets the free counsel. The defendant is the one that gets the benefit of a lot of laws. What happens in in the real world for criminal prosecutions is that the victim is very often left to the side. The victim doesn't have a right to counsel except for the so-called prosecutor. And the prosecutor is not representing the victim. Prosecutor is representing the state in the ideal of justice. Not the same thing. And so... And so, and the relationship between the prosecutor and the victim, I want to ask you, because I was never a prosecutor, and, and I want to specifically tell you this. I have a very dear friend whose daughter was raped in the, within the last year. She was 19 years old. She was raped um, at midnight by two men in a parking lot of a stop and shop. 
she she made the mistake of getting in the car with with them because she thought that she knew one of them from some other prior mm-hmm. thing. She was with a girlfriend. They dropped off the girlfriend at her home. They were supposed to drop her off at home. Instead, they took a detour and they raped her. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Horrific. Um, it turns out they're not even here legally to begin with. And it looks like the judge is giving them just a few years. They were extradited, by the way. One of them was extradited from another state um, and, uh, and, t- and taken here. And it looks like because apparently there's some talk of deporting them afterwards, they're getting a very, very light sentence. I'm, I'm talking a few years for something that all acknowledges a terrible rape. And what may be happening, what one of the reasons is, and I can't say this to be sure or not, but I know that the family, who's very close to me, uh, the victim, who's only 19 years old, does not want to go to court. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't want to relive right. this. She doesn't want to be battered and asked about it. She doesn't want to have to go on the defensive about it. There's a lot of good reasons why, for her own psychology, she doesn't want to do this. Right, uh, right. So... So, and that's common. So tell me about that, Jennifer Long. What is a prosecutor to do with that? How does that, what do we do? What do we do? Sure. So um, the first thing, obviously, that's uh, horrific. It's, it's so empty to say, I'm so sorry that that happened because, and I feel like I know from working in a, with enough social workers, that's an empty thing to say, but I, I truly don't have the words. I'm so sorry that that happened. It's terrible. I'm so sorry that that happened to her and right. her family. Um, I could, I want to talk about a number of, of things because, um, you know, one of the jobs as a prosecutor, you've said, obviously, we're not the we don't represent the victim or a party. We represent our community. But as our ethical guide, one of our thing, you know, besides assuring um, that um, guilt, that innocence does not suffer, it's that guilt shall not escape. And we are to use every legitimate means to bring about justice. And when we think about Equitas and why we were founded, we think about trying to provide those tools to our prosecutors and investigators to try to ensure that that a victim may not, you know, is supported enough and the evidence around a case is strong enough where it doesn't always tie just to the victim's testimony and it and that a victim is supported enough with counseling, with trauma therapy, with any other resources that they may need medical or, or um, you know, job support, educational support or otherwise, that they can participate. Now, sexual violence crimes are different. We can go forward in intimate partner violence crimes oftentimes without a victim's testimony because there are some legal rulings that basically address the confrontation clause. That's the part of the Constitution that says that a defendant has the right to face the accuser and confront an an accuser. And there are some exceptions to that constitutional right that are taken away from a defendant when they commit some kind of wrongdoing or when there's other, um, other pieces of evidence, statements that we have that are analyzed in a way that they become exceptions to that, for lack of a better, you know, I'm trying to summarize it simply. So give me an example, if you can. So for an example, sure. Now, I just want to say sexual violence crimes are different because consent is that issue, right? And we know that even in stranger cases, consent, the defense has learned that this is a very, very cunning 
um, cunning defense because it plays on everything that society's ready to do. You talked about it, blaming victims. And so raising it, even in a preposterous cases, it's, it's become common. However, in sexual violence cases, it's difficult to go forward without a victim's testimony because of that consent piece, because of our need to prove that consent, whether it's an element of the crime or whether it is not explicitly stated in the statute that the victim basically did not agree to be penetrated, did not agree to be contacted, but it's not impossible. So, for example, Um, And these are analyzed, you know, they're analyzed strictly. But in a sexual violence case, if we have, for example, medical evidence, and we know that sexual violence cases, even ones um, that happen by strangers, um, that were threat of force, or maybe even force is used, depending on the kind of force, may not leave visible injuries. So we understand that. Mm -hmm. And so, however, there are some medical cases where you may have injury. You may have documented injury and you may have a situation where a healthcare provider, a sexual assault nurse examiner, someone else can talk about an examination of the victim. They can talk about, um, you know, observations. Sometimes victims make statements to a medical provider. And this is where it's really important. You know, our medical healthcare people, they're not investigators. They're not detectives. They're there solely to treat the patient. And sometimes they do these examinations as an extension, but we have certain rules um, of evidence and certain analysis where statements made to these medical providers can sometimes be admissible in court. And it has been found sometimes the identity of a perpetrator and sometimes what happened if it goes to one of these exceptions. And one of them is a medical hearsay exception where it's Um, You're giving information for treatment or diagnosis of something, sometimes those statements and identity in some cases has been found. Those are in intimate partner cases. So, again, it's very tricky, very difficult, but it's possible. Um, If I can, I know I know you're probably short of time, but other things that are, you know, even outside of trying to rely on these exceptions to confrontation, we think about our investigators Do we have cameras? You know, we're in a world right now where that cars and phones have the ability to, like, track where people are. You have cameras outside of public places like the Stop and Shop. You have ability to um, perhaps have um, some of the assault or before or after on video to be able to strengthen what's happened um, Mm -hmm. if this individual doesn't want to talk. And then again, the most important part really, I mean, is this person's healing, the accountability. Yes, that's very important. We want to keep dangerous people off the street, but part of the way we can help our victims participate in the system is by making sure they have the support where they're able to testify. And also as judges that we make sure, yeah, people, defendants have a right to counsel. And they have a right to be defended, and that's very important. We, we don't want anyone innocent being convicted. But the defense doesn't have a right to humiliate and introduce irrelevant evidence and badger victims in the name of protecting defendant rights. So I think there's a balance where judges can really ensure that defendant, that defense attorneys, while representing their clients, are not trampling over victims' rights. Do you give those lectures to judges? Do you have those resources when, you know, judges have continuing legal education all the time? We do. We are available. I mean, sometimes you may know as a judge, sometimes judges want to make sure that it's 
that they're hearing from the defense and the prosecution. Sure. And sometimes Equitas is seen at, because we're former prosecutors, although some of our staff were also defense attorneys before they became prosecutors. So um, they have very good insight. But sometimes they want us to partner with people, and we always will. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking with Jennifer Long. The organization is A Equitas. And on the website, they have the cases, what they consider to be the relevant cases. You can familiarize yourself with the cases. They have their amicus briefs. They're supporting briefs in, in important cases, big cases that are coming up. Where are we constitutionally? If you could give us just a quick overview, Jennifer, where are we constitutionally when it comes to is there an important uh, ruling that's been handed down by the Supreme Court in your area that we should be knowing about? I think one of the best rulings um, recently was um, Giles v. Washington, which reinforced forfeiture by wrongdoing. This comes back to what we were talking about um, a little bit earlier about um, statements. When a defendant's constitutionally protected right can bend if the defendant's own wrongdoing, if they've done something to uh, prevent a witness basically from coming in and testifying against them with the goal of preventing that testimony. And that decision, which I'm embarrassed, I think it was 2016, but I I could be wrong. It could actually be 2012. (laughs) Um, I don't have the date of that one um, imprinted in my mind, but I think that was an important case uh, because it reinforced our ability to um, to be able to bring in some test some testimony from victims, some statements from victims that would otherwise be inadmissible. Um, but it also really went through domestic violence and intimidation and the subtle intimidation and the way that abusers really um, prevent their victims from coming forward. Um, I think that the discussions around that case really, um, really uh, brought that forward. And so I think that was an important case. I I do think, you know, I mean, we are in a country with 58 separate jurisdictions. We have the 50 states. We have the territories. We have the military, the federal, the District of Columbia. They all have their own codes. And all of those codes, uh, you know, they sort of rule what is criminal in a different jurisdiction. And they have many of them, their own rules of evidence, either state rules of evidence or by case law. And they're generally the same, but you know, there are some, there are some significant differences, especially around sexual violence crimes. So, um, you know, there can be differences and there can be, can be some laws stronger than others, but by and large, I, I think it's, this is something I feel very confident saying it's typically not the law. That's the problem. I mean, legal reforms and making laws better. That's important. It's the, it's the implementation of those laws, the use of those laws by prosecutors who are, you know, taught and have the knowledge and the skills to understand the dynamics of these crimes and to understand how to prove them, to understand how insidious perpetrators can be, how purposeful they are, not only in carrying out their crimes in ways where they're identifying victims that are vulnerable, but in ways where they're using a victim's vulnerability against them, where they know that victim will be discredited. Oh, yeah. And um, and so I think that's the most important piece. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes there's an intersection with family law, too. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Important part. A lot of important partners. 
You um you have this headline in on your website of A Equitas. Keep calm and understand United States versus Rahimi. Just give us a little bit of a brief, Jennifer Long, Rahimi, the Rahimi case. Sure. So the Rahimi case is currently pending um, before the Supreme Court, and this was that case I, I mentioned a little bit earlier on, where the um, it came actually out of the Fifth Circuit, which is Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and it's challenging a law, a federal law that prohibits gun possession by a person who is subject to a domestic violence restraining order. So it implicates the Second Amendment. And that case is, um, you know, the case is currently being considered. When we wrote that headline and we wrote that article, it was, I, I think, I mean, it was probably published after the Supreme Court accepted the case up to hear it. But mm-hmm. we were trying to provide guidance to prosecutors, not only in that Fifth Circuit about, okay, because it, it was a pretty, it was a, the Fifth Circuit decision basically invalidated 922 G8, which was that federal right. law and basically said a perpetrator could have guns. Right, and could so have guns, we, even if there was a restraining order in a domestic exactly. relations case. Oh, exactly. my God. But it did exactly. go up to argument. I was reading, I think Adam Liptak, I was reading in the Times, somebody Somebody yeah. told me that they thought that the Supreme Court was a little bit uh, unlikely to go ahead with the Fifth Circuit on this. It seemed from the questioning. Of course, we don't have the decision yet, right? Right, exactly. And we're hopeful. We're hopeful. But we tried to provide in the article, as we put up an amicus brief for that case, but in the article, we tried to provide guidance, even in light of this negative decision of how to move forward I see. and how to try to ensure. <sighs> Yeah. So basically, this particular circuit ruled that the Second Amendment trumped the uh, the uh, the otherwise federal law that said that if you had a restraining order because of a domestic violence situation, that you could also be withheld from having a firearms permit. Yeah, it basically that you could have and you have to forfeit your firearm. And basically what it said, I mean, the reasoning which we didn't agree with, but again, people from the Solicitor General's office at, who argue these cases are much smarter than I am about this, but it basically rested on how the Fifth Circuit interpreted uh, a recent case about firearms coming out of the Supreme Court, and I think did so wrongly, basically demanding that the, um, that the government prove that there was a almost precise historical, like going back to the founding of our country, similar rule to dispossess firearms. And the government did a great job showing that there were many similar pieces. Now, I guess it's, it's up to the Supreme court and how they rule. And uh, the solicitor general made some great other arguments as well. Well, Jennifer, I'm very glad Jennifer long that you founded this organization. I'm glad to know about it. A Equitas, the resources you say that many of them are available for free. Obviously much of the knowledge is already free and available on the website. And if people yep. connect with you and contact with you, they can speak to you and find out how they can get help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I encourage people to go to our website. The way to contact us is right there. And um, I just thank everyone for their work on behalf of victims and on behalf of justice. What is your what is your funding source, Jennifer? How do you stay in business with all of these very accomplished, <laughs> credentialed people? Seriously, how do you stay We're, in business? It's, it's hard. I mean, we write a lot of grants 
We write grants to the Department of Justice, um, to different agencies, provide funding. We write grants to um, foundations. And um, we do also accept individual donations. And it's, you know, it's something that's always top of mind because I think what we do is, is so important and our ability to provide it free of charge to offices across the country is important to us too. And so that's, that's how we stay. Um, so we stay afloat. I would be remiss tomorrow is giving Tuesday. And if yes. people are so inclined, yes. Yes. I would please invite them to come to our website uh, to learn how to make a donation uh, our, you know, we are boots on the ground working with prosecutors and working with other multidisciplinary partners across the country to try to protect victims. And I'm happy to talk to anyone interested. I will tell you that I'm on the advisory board of an organization called Jane Doe No More. And offline, Jennifer, I'd like to introduce you to Donna Palumba, because if you don't already know her, you should. Uh, This organization's been around for over 15 years, and she herself was raped, and they have a Survivor Speak program and many other programs. She's been profiled, you know, on Dateline many times for uh, initially the police didn't believe her. It's a whole story. They eventually caught a rapist after he tried to rape somebody else. And um, But she's in the forefront of advocacy and helping survivors. And I think the two of you ought to know each other. So I'm going to make that. I would that, love to. Thank you so much, Lisa. A pleasure. Jennifer Long on the Lisa Wexler Show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. We'll be right back. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.